Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. At the end of each week, I am joined by a guest to help us distill and further examine what we heard in trial that previous week. Again this week, my guest is Abby Smith, who serves as Professor of Law and Director of the Criminal Defense and Prisoner Advocacy Clinic at Georgetown University. Together we'll discuss our coverage of the conclusion of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's closing argument, as well as the beginning of the closing by Rittenhouse attorney Mark Richards. My conversation with Abby Smith is coming up right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, my conversation with Georgetown law professor and criminal defense attorney, Abby Smith. Abby Smith, thanks again for joining us. I'm actually eager to talk about everything tonight with you, Carrie. Well, let's get right into it. Prosecutor Binger, we had him finishing his closing argument in the case. What did you make of the prosecutor's closing? I, overall, and you and I, I think, are going to differ here because I'm going to be a little more generous. I thought Binger gave a good, solid closing. It was methodical. It was well-organized. He hit most of the points he needed to hit, but he also dropped the ball in a number of critical junctures. Some of it was tone, both his own and his obliviousness to kind of how his tone would be perceived, and some of it was word choice. He was at his best when he explained self-defense as a justification, a legal justification, because he put it in regular words. He said, Kyle Rittenhouse doesn't get a pass for his behavior. That was good. That was unfortunately a kind of rare example of using the kind of language that makes sense to people. I also liked when he said, you have to ask yourselves as jurors, was what he did right? Did he do the right thing? That was good. And I very much liked Binger suggesting to the jury that they sit as the reasonable person that is the standard for self-defense. Those were highlights. What he did badly, the dog ate your homework excuse is similar to what the excuse is that's being put forward for Rittenhouse. That was odd and bad and trivialized the whole thing. The worst thing he did was his handling of the alleged threat by Joseph Rosenbaum. Instead of saying there was no threat, period, there was never a threat. Kyle Rittenhouse made that up the way he made up the following things. Number one, that he was a medic. Number two, that he somehow had a right to carry a gun. Number three, that he was friendly. I mean, go through a whole list of things, but you have to say there was no threat. What he did instead was to say, it's not in the video. 
that was just really a bad, it's not about whether it was captured in the video. It never happened. The problem there is you not only had the testimony of Kyle Rittenhouse that it was there and that he heard it, but you did have the testimony of Joanne Fiedler and Ryan Balch saying that they heard Rosenbaum making threats. And whether they found those threats to be credible is another issue. But it wasn't just Rittenhouse who testified to that. The other two did as well. You know, but Binger made a big deal about it. If he's going to argue that there was no threat and you should not believe Kyle Rittenhouse about that, or you shouldn't credit his testimony, then he just needs to be direct about it. It can't be that there's video of everything else. But interestingly, there's no video of that. That's a secondary argument. That's a sort of a lawyerly argument. Instead, he needs to tell the jury, don't believe it. Binger was also called out as we heard in the beginning of the defense closing about saying that Rittenhouse never even saw Rosenbaum around and never put the threat of Rosenbaum together with the threat at the Car Source 3. And that was just ludicrous, as the defense pointed out at the beginning of their closing. Right. That's a fair point. I mean, I thought that was a weak argument by Binger, that there are hundreds of people out there and he didn't, there's no credible evidence that he noticed Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum was noticeable. You know, I like the way Binger characterized him as a five foot four guy with a hospital bag, period. Nobody ever saw him with any sort of weapon and the evidence is undisputed that he was never armed. Well, except for the chain, which is, you know, which can be menacing. I mean, like, let's face it, that chain, somebody wielding a big chain, and we see him, at least according to Mark Richards, the freeze frame that they capture has a plastic bag and a chain in the guy's hand. Right. So Binger needs to deal with that. You know, Binger lingered on no bat, no gun, no knife. He needed to say, you know, to the extent you saw him with a chain, you saw him with a chain momentarily. You never saw him striking anybody with that chain. No, that's not a good thing. And were he alive, he could be prosecuted for assault, for menacing people with that chain. He could have been prosecuted for arson. You know, he used this really strange, sarcastic kind of childish tone when he was making fun of the conduct that Rosenbaum was engaged in. He didn't need to do that. He shouldn't have done that. He should have flat out said, you know, Rosenbaum is not a perfect human being. And what he was doing on that night is troubling. And he was no doubt a kind of chaos tourist. But, you know, let's talk about what he did and what he said. And it wasn't good, but it didn't amount to posing a deadly threat or a threat of serious bodily injury to Rittenhouse for these reasons. I mean, I think he needed to diffuse it. Instead, he made light of the language Rosenbaum used with regard to the N-word, with regard to his angry language and his swearing and so on. He diminished the porta potty incident, the flatbed truck, the arson, the wielding the chain. I mean, Abby, as... I said to you before we got on the call, if I was on that jury, I would have turned Binger off right there. I thought he completely lost the thread with that because to diminish those things is to not treat the jurors with any real seriousness. That's really interesting. You know, I think it was a misstep. I don't know if he didn't treat them 
seriously, but if you mean it was disrespectful, I'm with you. Like all those things he listed, he made light of, but the list of them was bad. Nobody goes around doing the, you know, engaging in the kind of conduct that Rosenbaum was engaged in. It was serious, but he needed to make the point more precisely that it didn't justify what Rittenhouse did, that it was crazy behavior. It was irrational behavior, but it didn't pose a deadly threat to Rittenhouse. Agreed. A hundred percent. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. In the second part of our conversation, Abby and I finish our critique of Prosecutor Binger's closing and then begin to assess the effectiveness of the closing offered by Mark Richards. Abby, there were a few moments before the defense, I think, successfully rebutted him where Binger seemed to be getting into a groove. Like, for example, his reference to Huber and Grosskreutz treating Rittenhouse like an active shooter. I thought it was a good argument, too. I thought he humanized Gage Grosskreutz. I thought the freeze frame on his arm nearly being blown off was smart in closing. I thought he humanized Anthony Huber and, you know, the heroic attempt to stop somebody who just shot another human being. I thought he he did well with those things. And that was when he was at his best at trying to reach out to the jury and get them to see who the good people were here. But he hides sometimes behind a kind of peculiar lawyerly lexicon. He uses the phrase, I submit, it becomes kind of a speech tick. It's almost out of college debate. That's bad. And then he also injected his own personal opinion too much into it. You know, he literally said on one occasion, I don't believe it. He has to say to the jury, do not believe it, because I think he doesn't have the self-awareness to know that at this juncture in the trial, he's not the person that the jury is looking to. He can't use himself. He hasn't earned that kind of credibility. So he really needs to issue an exhortation to them rather than get them to sign on to him. And beyond the alienation created by Binger's continuous reference to his own feelings, he also ultimately seemed to lose the argument about why this was an active shooter situation. I mean, I thought Richard's response to that was very persuasive. It was really interesting because I thought Binger did a decent job characterizing the situation as involving an active shooter, that we all know what that means. That means that's somebody who's posing a risk of harm to a crowd, somebody who's shooting a high-powered semi-automatic weapon. And he did a nice job arguing that Grosskreutz and Huber were both heroic. But it was interesting. Richards, I thought, got the better of that argument when he critiqued the use of that phrase, active shooter, and said, no, that was not what was going on here. This was not a person. This was not a person in a theater or at a school. You know, this was a guy in a very violent situation. And I thought he had the better of the argument also with regard to provocation. I mean, he basically hoisted Binger on his own petard. He said, remember what he said in opening? Didn't say anything about provocation. He did say such and such. And then he said, you know, that that didn't happen. I don't know whether he had to switch up his closing because he learned more about the case or what. I mean, the closing was a lot about Binger, which frankly was 
kind of a good tactic in this case to suggest that the prosecutor overcharged, the prosecutor wasn't paying sufficient attention, the prosecutor was mischaracterizing. Th- I mean, he literally said, I don't know whether he's mischaracterizing it or, or lying. I mean, th- that was strong. And I think probably the jury was with him because he's got this really folksy way about him. And his way of addressing Anthony Huber, his way of addressing Jump Kick Man, his way of addressing Gage Grosskreutz as participants in this mob situation. Yes. Now, I mean, Richards had a couple of excellent phrases. His characterization of Anthony Huber He said Huber was trying to take his head off, you know, with regard to the skateboard in Rittenhouse. That's really well said. And then he said with regard to Grosskreutz, you know, instead of doing a kind of weirdly disposition about motive and bias and Grosskreutz's lawsuit, he said Grosskreutz had 10 million reasons to lie. Nicely done. You know, that puts the money figure right out there. He did a nice job with that. Yeah. I think just hearing the beginning of the defense closing, and now having heard all of the prosecution's closing, I am now absolutely convinced that Prosecutor Binger used the trial for discovery, and that if he had done his due diligence and had come in with an argument that was consistent, I still don't think he would have prevailed. I don't think he would have gotten a guilty verdict, but I think the jury, which as it was, spent several days deliberating this, may have been more inclined to hang. You may have had people that became a bit more resolute in their desire to convict Rittenhouse of something. I agree with you, Carrie, and I kept feeling that way during the prosecution's closing, less that way in the defense closing. And it's really interesting because as a career defense lawyer, you know, sometimes the best you can do as a defense lawyer is hang a jury. And sometimes that's, if not your explicit strategy, it's a sort of implicit strategy. You're hoping for one. All you need is one to get a hung jury. It seldom is a tactic of the prosecution. He could have hung the jury if he had been a little, Binger, I'm talking, if he had been a little narrower and more precise in his theory Yeah, if he had organized his case from the beginning. And made choices about the witnesses he called. I mean, in closing, some of the more awkward moments in Binger's closing was when he tried to explain why he called various witnesses who went south on him. All right, if they went south on you, then don't spend any time in your closing. That was like a mistake that you made. I think that's the kind of thing that made you feel like, geez, he was throwing everything but the kitchen sink at the defense without really knowing what the case was. Yeah. Again, theory of the case. He had none. By the end, he sort of had one, but he was also still reflexively going back to things that had already been proven untrue. Yes. Trying to kind of rehabilitate himself, I guess, through the witnesses. I don't know. You know, an example is the car source owners. You know, it was the worst kind of weak explanation. He said, you know, I put those two guys on just to give you a flavor. No, that's not the way to argue the case in your closing. He could have done that in connection with property damage. He could have conceded and thereby diffused the rioting and looting and property destruction. He could have said it was bad. It was so bad that it caused Kenosha to declare a curfew. It was so bad that our city, our city, wanted to, to everybody to stay home so they could get so that the police could get control of the situation. What was weird was Binger is part of that community and didn't use that 
as well as Richards did. But the truth be told, he's not part of that community. He's from Racine. He's not from Kenosha. I mean, he works in Kenosha, but he lives in Racine. So even that is sort of a lie. And he comes across as an outsider, whereas Richards does not. But that's the weirdest thing that he comes across as an outsider, that maybe he should have just copped to that and said, look, you know, I wasn't born and raised here, but I've spent a bunch of time and this is my home. And boy, I've been immersed in this case. And if I didn't know Kenosha before, he needed to sell it and he needed to sell his investment in the community and get them on board with him. But you're you're right, Carrie. He came across as an outsider, as a slightly detached intellectual lawyer. And hypocritical and righteous. Well, the defense really made a case that he was hypocritical and self-righteous to a fault. I mean, they really did successfully hoist him on his own petard. My goodness. You know, he it must have been hard for him to keep, you know, a poker face during that part of the argument because it was very much an attack on him and a kind of well-aimed cheap shot. One of my last thoughts I wanted to share is the challenge of what to do with Rittenhouse himself, how to characterize him as a person how to characterize his testimony. And Binger kind of tried. He tried to go at the crying as Rittenhouse was crying for himself. He tried to go at the lack of remorse. I don't know what the defense is going to do with that, but you don't actually have to feel remorse if you've engaged in assaultive conduct in justifiable self-defense. The remorse thing was sort of wrong. The crying thing was right. But I think he needed to go more directly at Rittenhouse and he needed to diffuse the parts of Rittenhouse that were sympathetic, his age, the fact that he's kind of a naive on some level that, you know, the wannabe famous thing, diffuse the stuff that seems like it's childish, but then really go at him, you know, in a way that attacks his character. And Binger didn't do that. Binger kind of skirted the edges of that. And, you know, didn't didn't say we he needs to be held accountable. He wasn't strong enough on personal accountability. He shouldn't have made fun of the arson and the use of the N word. He should have made fun of Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand. He should have talked about the fact that he was no doubt well prepared. He should have talked about when exactly he cried and what the purpose of that was, that that was manipulative. He should use that kind of language. He just kind of didn't go at him directly. Now, I know Binger has another shot at it right in his rebuttal closing. So I guess I'll wait and see. It's a really fascinating trial. And I don't know, I keep feeling like there's a metaphor in this case, a window into a certain problem in, you know, the American social contract. We'll wax philosophical about it next time. The myth that keeps coming up for me and the archetype that comes up for me in looking at Binger is the myth of Narcissus. I feel like he's so enamored of his own image that he loses a sense of everything else around him and in trying to kiss his own image, drowns himself. That's kind of brilliant. I don't think I can offer a better myth than that. All right. Thanks again for joining us and we'll look forward to wrapping this all up next week. Okay, bye-bye. That brings to a close this weekly recap of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us next week as we conclude our look at the defense's closing argument, as well as the prosecution's rebuttal. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our guest on this episode was professor of law at Georgetown University, Abby Smith. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. It was edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.